0: We're going to have the sermon now. At the end of the time, our trustees are going to give us a little bit of direction moving forward as there's lots of questions about what's going on around. And we have many good boards and leaders to depend upon, including our deacons and our trustees. So we'll save a little bit of time at the end so that the trustees can share some important news with us. But uh, for now, we're going to have the sermon. And the sermon today is taken from Mark chapter 12. And so if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Mark chapter 12. And I'd like to read for you verses 18 through 27. Mark chapter 12 beginning in verse number 18. This is part of our new series taking us right through to Easter Sunday. The last steps of the greatest journey on earth. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 18. This is what we read, Mark 12:18. Then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him saying, "Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying, he left no offspring. And the second took her and he died. And he did not leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, when they rise whose wife will she be for all seven had her as wife jesus answered and said to them are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of god for when they rise from the dead they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven but concerning the dead they that they rise have you not read in the book of moses in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Now, from all accounts, the events of Mark chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14 seemed to be like a week that goes from great to bad to horrible. And I don't know if you've ever had a week like that, but a week that seems to go right downhill. Remember in Mark chapter 11, Jesus rode in triumph into Jerusalem on a donkey. Everybody was singing Hosanna or Save Now. And calling him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Sunday started with triumph. But by the time we get to Tuesday, here in Mark chapter 11 and 12, the first uh, chief priests and scribes and elders start piling on him. And if you were with us last Sunday evening, in Mark 11 verse 27 you can see that they start to question his authority. Who gave you? It says in Mark eleven twenty eight, 28. Who gave you the right or the authority to do these things? And then a little bit later on in Mark 12, you'll see, for example, in verse number 13, it's the Pharisees, and the Herodians now who are trying to catch him in his words and like people piling up on top of the Lord trying to push him down and destroy him and drive him out of their life. The chief priests, the elders, the Herodians, the Pharisees. In our text in verse number 18 it's the Sadducees now who have jumped on top of him and then in verse 28 you'll see the scribes have come back around and it's As the one after another start piling up on top of the Lord, questioning him, uh, discouraging him, trying to hurt him, trying to drive him out of their life. And by the time you get to Friday of that week, which we call Good Friday, will the whole crowd now, all of the multitudes have jumped on top of him like a big pile, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Herod and Pilate are up there directing everything, and right on top of that big crowd of people, pushing down and against our Lord, is surely the devil himself and all the demons of hell, just laughing as they nailed him to the cross. And it seems like things go from bad to worse, to horrible in the life of our Lord in this last week between Mark chapter 11 and Mark chapter number 15. Now we know that it's not really a horrible week. In fact, God is going to use this to be a tremendous week in not only the life of the Lord, but all of humanity. But by the time you're in Mark chapter 12, where we're reading, it's to use a sports theme, like he was the star football player at the beginning of the week and then the other team began to pile up on top of him and tackle him and then everybody in the stadium all of the stands all the people came pouring down onto the field and just piled up on top of him but you're going to see by the end of the sermon that God gets him through it all all of that opposition and criticism and people trying to drive him away God gets him through every bit of that bad week back in psalm chapter 2 david predicted what it would be like when the lord came and in psalm chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 david writes in beautiful language why do the heathen rage and the people plot a vain thing The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And we see David predicting the whole world, it seems, gathering against and pushing away the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, earlier when we read in Mark chapter 12 and verse 18, the Sadducees who came called him a teacher, and he certainly is a great teacher. But he's far more than simply a teacher. And I'd like to just pause for a few moments this morning at the beginning of this sermon and ask us to consider who it is that all of those people were trying to drive away from and out of their life. Not simply a teacher, but here in Psalm 2 it says they're pushing against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed. And there are so many ways that we can learn who it was that they were pushing against and opposed to. For example, if you'd like to learn about the Lord and what he's like, Psalm chapter 19 verse 1 says, you only have to go out and look at the sky. The the heavens, Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So just imagine in the world that we're living today and all of the fear that surrounds us, imagine if there were no churches. Imagine if there were no preachers to preach. There were no Bibles to read. There were no Christians to sing. There were no missionaries to go into all the world. Everything was closed and shut. Would there be any way for anyone to know anything about God? Absolutely. Acts says that God has not left himself without witness. And Luke 19 says that if I don't praise the Lord, do you know that the rocks would cry out? And the rocks would begin to praise the Lord. So God has never left himself without witness. And all a person has to do to know that there's a God is go out and look up. Because every night sky... And every sunrise and every cloud, star, constellation, snowflake, raindrop, and rainbow declare the glory of God. All of creation says that there is a God and that he is powerful and he is creative and he is beautiful. And that's who these people were pushing against in Mark chapter 12 in the week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. They were rejecting the all-powerful creator of the universe who put those stars into place. And I love in Psalm 19 verses 1 and 2 where it says that they not only show forth his glory, but they speak and they utter knowledge. And God has never left himself without someone to declare that he is real and we can know him that's what the night sky whispers to everybody who looks at it any part of this universe any person who looks out hears that there is a god and you can know him Now that's not enough to save somebody, of course. We read in Romans 10 a number of weeks ago when we were studying Romans 10 that in order to be saved you have to call on the name of the Lord. But everyone can know that there is a God and he is powerful and creative and strong and beautiful. You can also learn a great deal about God just by looking at your own reflection. You look in the mirror any day or look at another human being and you will know a great deal about God. The Bible says in Genesis 1 and 2 that we are created in the image of God. And there are a number of similarities between every single person that you see here today and God. Now in saying that, we don't mean that you are a God no no you're not God and we don't mean that there's a little bit of God in everything or everyone that's the false teaching of pantheism and God is not like you in your weaknesses and God is not like you in your skin or your flesh because he's a spirit and God is not like you in your sins but God is like you and I'm like God Now, you don't see it well because it's been so marred or confused or confounded with sin that the image has been so dimmed and dismantled that sometimes you have a hard time seeing God in me. But you look at any human being, including yourself, and there are a number of things that you can know about God. For example, every one of you has the ability to understand things. Now, some of you don't understand things as well as others, but every single person has the ability to understand. We have a mind, a brain, and the Bible says God understands all things. So if you can imagine yourself just understanding a few things, well, that helps you to understand God. He understands all things, and the wonderful thing about God is that he's not like us in that we we understand the things that we've experienced or seen or been part of, and our knowledge builds one thing upon another. Here's what the Bible says God understands all things from eternity, before they even happen, before he sees them or they take place. God understands everything. At all times, never having one thing build upon another, but just knowing everything immediately and completely. It's it's not really called intellect with God. We We don't really talk about his intellect like we would a human intellect. But he understands he knows all things, so we call it this big word, omniscience. He's omniscient. He just knows everything at all times from beginning and end. He never had to learn it. And not only does God know things, but if you look in the mirror or you consider another human being, you know that we don't just have a mind, we have a heart. And it's so important that people know that God is not just pure knowledge, it's not just a giant brain in the sky, it's not just um, an understanding or an intellect or a force of understanding. God has a heart. He's he's created us in his image. And so he has a heart, the ability to feel, the ability to have emotions like love. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. And he tells Israel that he has loved them with an everlasting love. And he has drawn them with the cords or the bands of his love. And not only love, but The Bible says that God has joy. At the end of the book of Jude, it says in the 24th verse that one day Jesus is going to present us faultless before his Father with exceeding joy. There's going to be just joy all around on that day when we stand before the Lord, those of us who know him. Jesus is going to have joy. The believer is going to have joy. And the Heavenly Father is going to have joy. Exceeding great joy, Satan will have been defeated, sin will be gone, people will be saved, the earth will return to its former glory, and God will have eternal praise from his people. It will be a very joyful time, and we have already seen God express great satisfaction on the seventh day of creation. He said, it's very good. And as satisfied as he was with his own creation, he will be exceeding joyful when all of his people come around his throne. He has a heart. He feels. And that's why Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. He's omniscient or he has all understanding. He has a heart. He feels and expresses his love. And by looking at yourself, you can also learn that God has a will, or desire, or a wanter. I've got a wanter. There's lots of things that I want. Many, many things that I desire and wish to have. God has a will, a desire, and he created me in his image. Now, the main difference between God and I is that he has the capacity to match his will with something called his omnipotence, his all power. I have a a will, but just a little bit of power. There's many things that I have a very difficult time bringing to pass. I'd wish for it to happen, and I want it to happen, but I have no energy to, to make it happen. God matches his will with his omnipotence, which is all power, and he is capable of making all things happen, everything according to his will. And so just by looking at the night sky or the sunrise and looking at another human being, any person can know a great deal about the one that they were pushing away in Mark chapter 12. They were pushing out of their lives the creator, the beautiful, special, powerful creator of all things. And the one who has all knowledge, emotions, and love for every one of us. And a will and a desire to do what is right. All of this can be known without even turning to the Bible or going to church. And everybody knows it already. It's in their mind. That's why the Bible says he's put eternity in our hearts. Now, of course, the best place to get the most knowledge about God is in the scriptures which you have before you. And there's lots of things that the scripture tells us beyond these basic elements. Like turn to John 14 and verse 6, where the Bible says that God is a God of truth. John 14 and verse 6, Listen to this great verse. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John 14 verse 6, God is a God of truth. Now you wouldn't know that looking out at the night sky. You wouldn't know that just looking at yourselves. You know he's powerful and he's like you, but the Bible reveals further. He says he's a God of truth, and that not only means that he demands and expects truth in his creation and in you and I but he has aligned himself to the principles of truth and he himself is true so we can believe what he says we can trust him implicitly he never lies he never deceives he never forgets He always does exactly what he says he's going to do. And so if some night you're under the covers and it's dark and you're scared, you only need to whisper and say, God, are you there? And you know he's there. He said he would never leave you. He would never forsake you. So he would, yes, say, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm listening. Talk to me. I love you. He's a God of truth, and he said he would always be with you wherever you go. And that's one of the reasons we can have courage in difficult times. God is with us. The world is falling to pieces, but God is a rock we can depend upon. He's the God of truth. Another wonderful thing that we learned from the scriptures that you'd never know through nature or looking at yourself is that God has a son and his name is Jesus. And that's who they're driving away in Mark chapter 12. They are piling up on top of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, questioning his authority, attacking him and seeking to nail him to the cross. And in Mark twelve eighteen, where we started, the accusers in this case are the Sadducees. Now that's a rich bunch who lived back in Israel during the times of Christ. And they're no different than a lot of people in HRM today. The Bible says they didn't believe in something called resurrection. Resurrection is your body coming back to life after you've died. Resurrection is life after death. And there are a lot of people in Nova Scotia today who do not believe in life after death. They don't believe that there's any other place to go. You're just a dog and you go into the ground and that's the end of you. Or you burn your body because you're done with it. You don't need it anymore. They don't have any hope beyond this life. They don't believe in anything but what they can see right here and now. And maybe that's the reason they're so scared. Maybe that's the reason they're so upset. They don't know that there's life after death. They don't know that there's somewhere else to go far better than this. And if some disease or car accident happens to take you, you'll be blessed because you'll go and be in the presence of the Lord forever. Now these Sadducees, they didn't believe any of that. They didn't believe in life after death. And it's interesting the excuse that they use. It says early in Mark uh, 12 verses 18 and 19 that these people adhered to the law of Moses. Now, if you know the Old Testament, the first five books are called the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They said they didn't believe anything but what was written in those first five books. They didn't believe the Psalms, they didn't believe Malachi, they didn't believe Jeremiah, and they certainly didn't believe the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They only believed what they could read in Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if it's not there, they're not going to believe it. And they said to Christ, You'll never see the word resurrection in Genesis. You'll never see the word resurrection in Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy. We don't believe in this whole idea, living forever or someplace else to go. We only believe what we can see in those first five books. Now they thought they were so smart. And Jesus says to them, You're mistaken. You think that there's nothing about resurrection in the first five books of the Bible? Nothing about the afterlife? I mean, we'll get to what Jesus said to them, but just think yourselves for a moment about the opening pages of the Bible where God says to Adam and Eve, I've put you in a garden and there are two trees in that garden. The first is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's what they took of and they rebelled against God, and sinned, and ate of that forbidden fruit, and they began to know good and evil, and sin came into their life, and has plunged us into the mess that we're in today. And as a result, they were driven out of that garden, and you might remember that on the way out, God posted cherubim with flaming swords to guard what? The other tree, because the other tree was what? It was called the tree of life and if they eat that tree what happens they what they live forever that's what the very opening pages of the old testament teach us that if they had of in their fallen sinful state eaten of that forbidden tree the tree of life they would have lived forever in that fallen state god wants us to live forever but not in the state we are right now He wants us to be saved and washed by the blood of the Lamb so that we can live forever in holiness and peace and harmony. And so the very opening pages talk about life and eternal life and life after death and living forever. Not not to mention, if anybody reads the book of Genesis, you might remember that Abraham took his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and he was going to offer him as a sacrifice to God. But just before the knife plunged into Isaac, a ram was caught in the thicket, and the Lord prevented Abraham, and they substituted Isaac for that ram. And the ram was put onto the altar instead of Isaac. And the whole New Testament, they might not have seen it in that day, but the whole New Testament demonstrates that that is a picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. It's as close as you can get without killing somebody and bringing them back to life, putting them on the altar, putting the knife right down to their chest, and then rising them up again. Isaac thought he was dead, and Abraham thought he was dead. And it was a picture of resurrection. And anybody who reads Genesis, tell me, where did Enoch go? Genesis 5 says Enoch walked with God. God. And he was not, for God took him. Well, where did God take him? He took him to heaven. He took him into his presence. Enoch didn't die and go into the ground. Enoch was still living. There is life after death, and all of Genesis shows it. You see it in so many pictures when you see, for example, Joseph, basically killed by his brothers, put down into a pit and left for dead, only to come back out again to rise and be a great prince in Egypt. You see it in Moses, who was plunged into the water, which was to be death for all of the babies. And yet Moses was drawn out of the water and saved by the basket. Noah went through the flood. All of these, Egypt, the the Israelites went down into Egypt and came back out again, a mighty nation. All of these are pictures of something called resurrection, of coming back from the dead, of being gone and yet living. And Jesus uses a great one in Mark chapter 12. If you just look there, Mark chapter 12 and verse 24. Here's what Jesus says. He says, you're mistaken. You don't know the scriptures. And then he says this in verse uh, 26. Concerning the dead, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, you remember when Moses was up keeping Jethro's sheep and he saw a bush that did not burn and he says the Lord spoke to Moses from that bush and this is what God said he said I am the God of Abraham the God of Jacob and the God of Isaac Uh, you can remember that passage so clearly as you see Moses taking the shoes from off his feet the ground whereon he stood was holy ground and he said who am I going to say has sent me down into Egypt to let the people go And God said, you tell them the great I am has sent you. That self-existent one who created all of this universe, who has a mind and a heart and a will just like yours and is skillful and beautiful and creative, you tell them that he has sent you and he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now notice that he does not say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Jacob. I was the God of Isaac. They'd been dead for years. But he doesn't speak in the past tense. He says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Isaac. Why? Because they're still alive. He's not the God of the dead. Speaking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I'm the God of the living. They're as much alive today as they were back in the book of Genesis. Why? Because they're in heaven. They're walking on streets of gold and living in mansions and praising the Lord, robed in white. They are alive, all of these people who have gone before. And these old Sadducees, it's not a wonder they were sad, you see. Well, of course they'd be sad. They didn't believe that there was anything more than this life. You know, for the Lord, he went through a miserable week. It went from bad... To worse in the week between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. Everybody piling on him and accusing him and attacking him. But God got him through it. In Mark 16, you'll see that Jesus Christ is a, alive from the dead, he's back and, and better than ever before. God gets people through tough times. And one of the things that gives us such hope is believing in life after death. Believing that there's more than just what we see down here. That there's a far better place to go. And I find it astonishing that these men, back in Mark 12, the Sadducees, well, they were saying they didn't believe in something that was just about to happen this is probably Tuesday of the week and in just a few days Christ was going to rise from the dead and they were saying oh we don't believe in this we don't believe in this and yet it was just around the corner and how often that happens for us we don't believe and we don't believe and we doubt and yet it's as close as if we could reach out and touch it you know one day soon I'm going to die I don't know from what I might be in a car accident, or my father died at 58 of cancer. My sister died of 30, at 33 of cancer. Uh, others in my family have heart disease. And so one day I'm going to die. And if I were to die right now, my body would fall to this stage. But my soul and my spirit, who I really am, this is just where I live my soul and my spirit would go immediately to be with God. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I would be laid out here in my body and you'd put me in a box and set me here at the front about three days from now. And I hope you'd all come by and cry. (laughs) And say he was the best pastor we ever had. No, I don't know what you'd say but then you'd put my body in the ground. I mean, I don't know if you all go, but it's up outside of Fredericton, New Brunswick. That's where we're all buried in my family. A little place called Kingsley. Seymour Cemetery, just outside of Fredericton. i got a spot there. My dad's body's there. My grandparents' body's there. My sister's body's there. My sister-in-law's body's there. My mom's grave's there. Everybody's there. And there's one for me. And if you're there, it's quite a trip, so I don't expect you to take it, but uh, there'll be a minister there, and he'll say, now we're going to put this body into the ground, but this isn't the end. We're going to put it in the ground until that great day of the resurrection. And you know, there's coming a day when the trumpet's going to sound. And that trumpet will sound, and God will bring my soul and my spirit with him. And he will raise my body up from the ground. Now you say, well, what if it's been a hundred years and you're still down there? There'll be nothing left of you. Well, it's the same if I die in a fire or you cremate my body or I die at sea. You know, in the very beginning, God took some dust and he formed a man. Just out of the dust of the ground. If he can do that with Adam, he can raise up whatever's left to me and just raise me right up and put my soul and my spirit back into my body but then here's the best part you say i don't want that old body back listen first corinthians 15 it says this and then we'll be changed and we'll receive a a body like unto his glorious body philippians 3 says so yes my soul and my spirit are going to come back and i'm going to rise from the dead and you're going to know me that's how you're going to know me in heaven i'm going to look the way that i look today a little more handsome maybe you're going to say that. You're not going to be more stupid in heaven. You're going to be smarter in heaven. You're going to know me. Of course you're going to know me. You're going to say, he pastored our church one time. Only I'm going to be robed in white. And I'm going to be glowing so brilliantly. And it's going to be me. And you're going to be you. And we're going to be walking on streets of gold. And we're going to be living in mansions. And we'll see Jesus. And all of our loved ones will be there who know the Lord. And we will never have a tear. We'll never have a pain. And we'll never die. We'll live forever. And that's one of the greatest hopes that we have to offer to people. Is that this life is not all that there is. And if you do happen to die, there's resurrection. And the Lord is going to come and raise you back up again. So if everybody's piling up on you, and you're having one of those weeks that just seems to be going downhill, you walk tall. Our Lord got Jesus Christ and so many others through the worst weeks of their life. And one of the ways that he did it was by telling them that, yes, there is resurrection. And in Psalm 2, where we started, it says that all the heathens were raging and they were piling up against the Lord and his anointed. And you know what it says the Lord did? He just laughed. He said, what are they going to do to me? They're going to pile up on top of me and nail me to a cross. And three days later, I'm going to rise again and live forever so if there's anybody here who like the old Sadducees doesn't believe in life after death you're so wrong and your life is so hopeless the greatest hope that we have is when Jesus said I will come again and if he comes today then I don't even have to die which is even better you just get taken right up in the rapture let's pray together